fucking damn it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we, you we, sound we, like a Muppet. We are the joke <laughs> We we we're taking a second run at this. Uh, having done the first run, and then you know, all, all of us were in various horrible moods because we recorded it the day that the Roe verdict came out. Uh, and so now we're, we're taking a second run at this. But unfortunately, Justin has caught plague. Yeah. I'm thing. recovering Ross from the dead. novel coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. You time. sound like you're recovering real good. It gave you. It gave you Muppet voice. I'm sorry to tell you this. I, I, as I just said, I, I I assume this is what Jordan Peterson sounded like (laughs) the day he woke up from his Russian medically induced coma. (laughs) I, 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 I hope. You get better soon. I, you are my best friend. Yes, yes, you're a dear friend. I have all the love for you in the world, but I also hope that this permanently changes your voice that you always sound like this. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I feel much better today than I have any day in the past two weeks. Um, but I, I sound I, terrible. Yeah. I, I have missed recording with you guys, is the thing. It's genuinely like it, very enjoyable, and I've missed doing it, so it's not just the listeners. But uh, this is sort of... Technically, this is a bonus episode that we're releasing for free because you know, everyone's been very patient with every with all of us dying of various causes. Yes, uh, you know who all of all of us are, but uh, we also have a guest. Hello, guest. Uh, I go by uh, Kaboto Dad or KD, but most people on Twitter are going to know me as Vortakes. Uh, I am a natsec shill, and my pronouns are he slash him. Thank you for coming. We've we've got you on for a second time. So take a second run at uh, the story of this man in tiny shorts. Um, this is the story of those shorts and the story of one of the last and hardest anti-colonial struggles and how it came to devour its own heroes. And also the story of a doomed white supremacist last hurrah that still resonates with racists to this day. We're oh, talking they about love it. they love it. They love, love it. it. We're talking oh, yeah. about Rhodesia. Next slide, please. Boo! Uh, wow, a country that's a lot with a lot of hideous ass flags. Oh yeah, uh, except for the one on the bottom. Bottom center is pretty good. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah, that's a pretty good my, one. This is my theory of you can judge how quote unquote normal a uh, a a country is by how many flags it has had over the course of its existence. And as you can see, Rhodesia is a very normal, or Zimbabwe rather now is a very normal country. Absolutely. Uh, we, we start with the colonial thing, we end up with our modern, our modern country of Zimbabwe, uh, which I guess we can we can start with some ancient history, right? And we can explain what Zimbabwe is geographically and where it is, and uh, you know when human civilization started there. So next slide, please. Okay, right. okay I'll bite. What's a Zimbabwe? <laughs> well, this it's is a, it's a ziggurat of some kind. Sort of. Zimbabwe means like walled stone house, or if you want to have a like good, a that's whatever, man. Yeah, I, if, yeah. if you want a loose translation, castle works. Um, that's a Zimbabwe. Uh, there's like thousands of these across across the country. This is the biggest one. It's called Great Zimbabwe. <laughs> I recognize uh, from Civ Three. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm an ignorant man. <laughs> so, so, so if you imagine, if you imagine uh, Africa, right? This is directly north of South Africa. We're in the central bit of the sort of southern part of Africa, um, and there. So it's got, it's got South Africa to the south. It's got the uh, 
Portuguese colonies and former colonies of, of Mozambique to its east, uh, and it's like uh, Got a Botswana. Yes, yeah. Botswana's uh, dope as hell. I, I, I should have put up a map. <clears throat> lovely, lovely place. It's landlocked, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's so funny when your voice goes back to its normal range. So you get, it's landlocked, <laughs> right? And I'm just like, oh, like, also, I, I, Muppet I, pal. <laughs> also, I think I fixed my. Yes, my, you my did. Levels. Oh, yeah. thank God. Excellent. Oh, terrific. I had to poke around in my Logitech <laughs> bullshit, but uh, oh, we're, you have we're good G-Hub? now. I, I do, in fact, because I am a Rub- capital G gamer. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also rocking the uh, uh, Logitech headset. Uh, I probably sound like shit, but that's everybody else's problem. That's right. Hell yeah, uh, brother. You, you just, you oh, just yeah. get very crisp, very crisp Alice in the meantime. I just, I just want to, I, I have thought about, uh, it, out of an act of pure rage, simply going back to the old mic and pretending like nothing is wrong. <laughs> I, I'll, you, you should, you should not do that. I have been I have I have been around yeah, listening to this pod crunchy. long enough that I can remember I can remember OG Liam Mike and uh you know those those were the days yeah the, those the, the, the days real heads, real yeah. heads I, I'm I'm thinking I might start calling in from like a Motorola walkie-talkie and just be like hey guys so the, so the, 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 many many shit. moons ago when these old oaks were young Alice is calling son people. <laughs> Alice is calling in on the motor order brick phone that she will then use to detonate an improvised explosive device somewhere in uh, Afghanistan. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, I, I got all these containers of yellow palm oil, uh, and I'm just going to stack them all up on the roadside and see what happens. I actually uh, called into the podcast using oral tradition. That <laughs> <laughs> was my stripper name in high school. Not high school, college. College. My bad. I've canceled. Canceled. Well, I'm so- the stripper. I'm the one getting exploited. Certainly. Oh, so you want to deny? You want to deny KD? yourself your own agency? That interesting. Look, I'm not saying it's my logic. I'm saying that's Twitter logic. That's what would happen. <laughs> so, oh, God. so, so, so well, Zimbabwe. Yeah, we fucking know, bud. So, so human civilization in Zimbabwe began with the San people who built these Zimbabwe's, they built these uh, th- this is a little soapstone carving of a Zimbabwe bird we're not sure what type of bird it is uh, it has like a ritual purpose um, it's on the flag of modern Zimbabwe uh, the, it's sort of the, 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 the San people sort of then become succeeded by Shona people um, and you, then you have a second ethnic group that comes north into Zimbabwe, the Dembele, uh, who, uh, this happens after uh, Shaka Zulu, uh, after he dies, one of his generals revolts in 1821, it sets off a process called the Fekane, uh, a bunch of people who used to be Zulu soldiers come north and settle, they're called the Dembele, or the Matabele, uh, and they engage in sort of like on and off ethnic wars between the Shona and the Debele for years until in comes next qu- slide, please. Next one, this yeah. motherfucker. This She's motherfucker so right Maybe. here. Yeah. Of, of uh, all of our motherfuckers, perhaps the most venal. Um, you're allowed to 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 throw tomatoes at these statues. You can yes, do that. Yeah. Or whatever uh, was that uh, <laughs> that woman posted. Yeah, um, don't don't like a statue. You could simply get rid of it. That's right. So you see this uh, the strategic position of the British Empire in Africa is 
has uh, well sort of except that there's no good links other than by ocean has a lot of territories in north africa has a lot of colonies in south africa and no real way of linking them other than by ship what Cecil Rhodes wants to do is to build a, a telegraph line. You can see there's a telegraph cable that he's holding, yes. and a railway that goes from Cape Town to Cairo. And that way, you can just run the whole empire through this like central artery. I did stand he, by did he my consider my... that he'd have to keep standing there with it <laughs> yeah, the whole time. <laughs> Well, he you was know, 800 feet tall. You know oh. some Victorian-era dude saw this and thought, I am oddly titillated by this picture, and I can't <laughs> quite figure out why. Now the I, damnable uh, erection's back again. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 uh, the white man's boner. Yeah, um, yeah I, uh, I think part of it is also that like I am in favor of building the Cape to Cairo Railroad, but only yes. as a Taurus narrow-gauge railroad. Yes, I was about to say, well, well, building no, a Cape to Cairo Railroad for imperialism, bad. Building a Cape to Cairo Railroad because it would be fucking cool, good. Yeah, for well, sure. Yeah, the- you'd presumably want something that actually can move stuff and benefit yeah. people economically. You as know, a public as works to- project, it's, it's, as a public works project, it's not, it's not a bad idea, inherently. Anyway. But, but when he's doing it, it sucks. Yeah, so if, if, yeah, you, if you look at- When I'm doing it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. so, so if you look at Cecil Rhodes's uh, foremost boot, he has his foot on South Africa. That's uh, a good Im- metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Immediately above that is Rhodesia. Uh, to, to its east, you have Portuguese colonies, uh, which they're kind of sort of indifferent about. Uh, to its north, you have um, the uh, the Congo, specifically Leopold II, King of the Belgians, personal, extremely evil ghost. personal yes. fiefdom, and, the, and uh, its southern province, Katanga. I once got booted from a CSGO match because I wouldn't stop taunting our Portuguese teammates about how they lost Angola. Good. <laughs> Good. Good. CSGO so, comp, I want to point that out. <laughs> So, so, so we have a bit of a colonial adventure uh, because you have all of this good land, as you saw in the the previous slide. Zimbabwe is beautiful, and it's also, for the most part, it's like very arable. It's good land for growing growing crops on, if you want to do that. Um, and so, and for genociding all the white farmers, you <laughs> deserve we'll, it. Let's we'll, we'll we'll get there. So. South Africa, South Africa is quite a successful colony, but it's sort of a victim of its own success in that now it has a bunch of fail sons who don't know what to do with themselves. And the answer is, uh, go out and get more land. If you want to have uh, a plantation, go and go and get it yourself. So this this forms into something called the Pioneer Column, um, where they march north. Most of these guys think of themselves as South African rather than British. Uh, but they're still part of the British Empire. Um, anyway, they, they they march north. They find a place that they think would be a good place to start a settlement, which they call which they call Fort Salisbury. Um, and then they you know hoist the Union Jack, twenty one gun salute, three cheers for Queen Victoria. Um, and we get some just oh, amazingly bad accents out of it. Yes, terrible. Um, so I, I just yeah. So, the, so the paradigm for 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 colonial exploitation at this point is you don't do it under the auspices of a state. Really, what you do is you have a company. So, like the East India Company or the Hudson's Bay Company, you have sort of a a, a corporation whose express purpose is to colonize this place. Uh, and so, what happens is that you have the British South Africa Company, 
the BSAC, which well, is that sounds horrifically evil. Yes, yeah. Also, a little um, bit dated by that point. The whole concept of using because by that point, you know, states were taking more direct control over their 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 colonies. So using sure. a company to do it because by that point, like the British East India Company was long gone. So they were kind of it was kind of like a return of the classics here. Yeah, playing the hits. Um, but so the, the BSAC walk in, they colonized the place just in time to get into the middle of uh, a race war, an ethnic war. Uh, the first the first Masabele War, which is an attempted genocide of Shona by Masabele. The British South Africa Company is in the middle of this. They don't quite know what to make of it, other than to put it down with their troops. But this allows them a sort of legitimizing factor, right? They can be like, we came in here as uh, peacekeepers. We, we, we are helping these people to uh, you know, advance towards civilization and not murdering each other by keeping our guns trained on them all the time. Th then this, this is not very popular. Uh, Can't imagine why not. No, and this, this starts the Second Matabele War, which is the first use of Maxim guns by the British Army against massed infantry, uh, and goes much as you'd expect. This is, this is a specifically anti-British rebellion that is put down, as you can imagine. What, uh, um, what, what, what is that, uh, a Maxim gun? A Maxim first... gun, first practical machine gun, let's say. Oh, um, okay. It's, it's the first practical machine gun with a single barrel, anyway. Yeah, and it would go on to be basically you know, the standard going into to, to World War I, uh, designed by uh, an American yep. who I, I believe, if I remember correctly, is one of those many military inventions that, that come across in my field where the designer thinks this will be so awful that it'll prevent people from going to war <laughs> because it would be so... so uh, it never so works. always works. Yeah. Yes. It never, yeah. ever works. Uh, Never works. So, so the second Masabele War, it's sometimes called the first Chimarenga, the first uh, like resistance operation. Um, it, it is crushed. Cecil Rhodes goes there, and in the course of the peace negotiations, which are kind of a joke, he he does a bit of self mythologizing because instead of sitting with all the white people, he goes and sits down with the black people to try and talk his way out of the rebellion. Uh, and this this is another part of the sort of foundational mythology of Rhodesia is. You know, he's he he's like trying to peacekeep himself, right? Um and the mode of colonization that we're talking about in Rhodesia, initially they go out there looking for gold, because there's gold in South Africa, there's diamonds in South Africa, they're like, there's gotta be shit up here that we can mine. And there sure. kind of isn't. Yeah. Um there's there's it's it's good land for agriculture and that's about it. Uh, and so they find stuff later, but at the time they just don't have the technology or wherewithal to find it. So it's farming oh, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because like colonization is by definition an extractive impulse, uh, the the mode of it is the uh, a sort of a familiar one for for British colonization, which is plantation. Right? You um, oh good. It, you don't have a lot of natural resources it, like to dig out of the ground. What you do instead is you have white agriculture with a handful of white farmers and a shitload of black labor. Uh, and particularly, you're even farming tobacco, right? Um, oh, bring back all the classics! Exactly, yeah. exactly! And this, the hits, Alice! If you, want, if you want a good example of material conditions or whatever, this creates exactly the same kind of planter aristocracy as it has everywhere else this has been tried. Shouting um, at some dude with the worst accent you've ever heard to play your old stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, most of this settlement, this happened in uh, southern Rhodesia. Rhodesia's bisected by the Zambezi River. Uh, northern Rhodesia has more sort of like stuff you can dig out of the ground. Yeah. Uh, so we're mostly going to be talking about southern Rhodesia. Next slide, please. So in the we, have sun. A, we have a beautiful postcard here of colonial Rhodesia, um, and the, the the mode of the mode of exploitation here is f forced labor, uh, hut taxes, animal taxes for cattle, um, but also you know for the legitimizing thing. Oh, we built railways and stuff in order to move oh. all of this tobacco. Um, uh, eventually, this sort of anomaly of company rule disappears. It's taken directly into British government control, um, and there becomes this sort of political question of whether Rhodesia is going to govern itself as an independent colony or join the Union of South Africa, which is what everyone expects it to do. Mm -hmm. um, in the South African Constitution at that time, there are like provisions for governing what becomes Rhodesia, um, but there's a vote, and they vote for self-government because. The fucking the planters, the aristocracy, they don't like the idea of being South African. They like the idea of being Rhodesian. They like this idea of like us against the world, us ourselves. Um, a common theme in planter economies, it seems. They yeah, just don't. The they do not rugged, like. Uh, they do not like anyone telling them what to do. You could take your rugged individualism and <laughs> shove it up your ass. Exactly. It's very easy to feel like a rugged individualist when you have a Fuck shitload you, of New other Hampshire. people picking the tobacco leaves. Yeah, when you have virtual. Slavery, maybe not, right. maybe not official codified not, slavery, not but basically literal, slavery. Yeah, but but basically, as near as it makes no difference. Yeah. A fun little thing about this artifact, a company role I like is when the British South Africa Police are founded, which will retain that name even after this stops being, you know, called that. Uh, it was still founded under company rule, which basically means you had this company running a colony that also had its own police force, effectively making this the Victorian equivalent of RoboCop. <laughs> yeah. you know, basically omni consumer products you know had to invent a mechanical turk constable to keep ruffians from robbing the salisbury general store <laughs> so so world war ii happens uh and one of the things about rhodesia is that sort of unusually for a british colony it, it provides a lot of a lot of troops i think proportionally more white Rhodesians get killed than like white British colonists of any other colony outside the you know the dominions like Australia or Canada. Um, it, 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 they form sort of a relatively independent military as well, right. um, which will will come back to haunt us later. But this is another part of sort of like the the national mythology is Rhodesians are patriotic, are martial. Um, you know, we'll, we'll come off of the farm or whatever and train to be a pilot and fly Spitfires or whatever. It's a um, sort of like gentleman, scholar, farmer, philanthropist sort of colonialist thing going on. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, but after, after the Second World War, uh, the British government, the new Labour government, pursues a policy of decolonization. Next slide, please. And I've got to talk about some engineering for this one. That's some actual engineering, that's some stuff that got built. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the, the UK wants, to, uh, wants its colonies to decolonize, to become democracies, right? Um, 
They want to be independent. They want them to be independent of the UK and to be governed under majority rule, which in Africa means black rule, right? Because that's how disparate the population is. It, it's like, you know, at most 10% white people, probably far less than that. Um, if everyone gets a vote, then, you know, that, that's a, a government that is, you know, it's, it's going to elect black politicians. This is unthinkable to, uh, to uh, colonists, to white Rhodesians. Um, but so the UK creates this federation of Rhodesia to try and hold it together as a colony. And it doesn't work because there's internal contradictions, right? Northern Rhodesia, the one with all the mines, uh, it doesn't have this sort of like planter psycho shit. All of all of the guys, all of the white people there, they they work in mining companies. They can still do that, even if it's uh, even if it's a democracy, even if it's a nominal democracy. Uh, whereas southern Rhodesia, it, you know that the the farm that you have built using your forced labor is your your patrimony, right? Um, and so northern Rhodesia will eventually decolonize relatively uh, simply and become Zambia. Southern Rhodesia does not. What it does do is it uses this time in, in Federation to take all of that copper and gold money from the north, line its own pockets, and build this, the Kariba Dam, uh, which is, it dams the Zambezi. Um, and right after they do this, the whole Federation collapses, southern Rhodesia just becomes a Rhodesia. Um, the Kariba Dam is, is, is like, it's a metaphor, right, for, for the whole process of colonization. Um, because... It, it's now falling apart. It, it, climate change means that it gets drought and it gets flood, which are two things that you don't really want for a dam. Um, it's very, very difficult to repair. Um, if you do repair it, there's a significant risk that you'll make it worse. Um, and if it, if it collapses, then... That's my favorite then, kind of repair. Yeah, exactly. I, I just love the idea of like, yeah, we're going to fix the problem and make it better for everyone, and then you just kill 30,000 people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really fun here. If if this collapses, it takes out another dam downriver. Southern Africa yeah. loses like forty percent of its power. And Zimbabwe and South Africa regularly flood. Like there is not a year that you do not read a news story about Zimbabwe and South Africa having a flood that kills people. It happens every year. Well, you gotta assume that you know this project was used for the purpose of uh, rural electrification and improving the lives of Rhodesians <laughs> everywhere, right? <laughs> Um, so about the about this, um, <laughs> so in order to build a dam, you have to move a lot of people generally because people live in the you know the river valley and they live in the bit that's going to be the reservoir. Um, so they they do a lot of population clearance, which is uh, not not done very nicely. But what they do do is they do a, a thing called I think it's Operation Arc they call it, uh, where they they very nicely save all of the wildlife. You know, oh, so that's nice of them. Yeah. They, they rescue all of the like little little monkeys and zebras. Well, as long as we get all the exterminating a bunch of people. Yeah, as yeah. long as we get all the dogs right, cool. out of cobble, well everyone else will be fine. It <laughs> takes like a year to fill the reservoir. The animals move anyway. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> just putting them. Just yeah, I don't. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> Inci incidentally, it's the really word easy to do a project <laughs> like that. You just say you did it, and it happens. Yeah. It's fine. Everything's <laughs> fine now. Swears he reels is like slapping a bumper sticker over the dam. <laughs> Just so, dropping so, the mission accomplished banner. You get some video of a helicopter coming in and picking a lion off of an island. <laughs> Even though they lions can swim. 
They literally have. They they there are still videos of like one sad gibbon that's on a little artificial island, and it's like okay, fine. Also, incidentally, the word kariba, uh, which is what this is called, it means trap because that was the way they tried to explain it <laughs> to oh, people. That's, was that's, we we, yeah. we are going to we are going to catch and trap the river, um, just the river, nothing else, and no <laughs> oh, one yeah, else. Guys. Yeah, and, and cool. we're still buds. You know, definitely yeah. not gonna. Don't worry about this rifle. That that's my buddy Tim's. I'm just holding it for him. And now, and now Zimbabwe is stuck with this 1960s dad that they that they can't do anything with. Uh, I I think they've gotten China to repair part of it recently, but it's still sort of a heavy candidate for a future episode as well as a you know synecdoche. I but, look uh, forward to its 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 inevitable return as a you know friend of the pod, the Kariba yeah, Dam, uh, an act, a mysterious act of God's love. That's right. right I was in Schenectady last week. Why? <laughs> getting COVID. A, yeah, getting COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I where you go to get COVID, COVID now. That point. I was only there for a second. I was on the train. Oh, mm. okay. Well, if it, I was in. Westchester County, New York, yesterday. So that was hmm. fun. Hopefully, not getting COVID. No, Hopefully. I don't have COVID. So, uh, Ross, I'm going to come over there and breathe in your mouth. That, <laughs> then you'll that, also get COVID. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah. I already have the COVID. You can't make it worse. Yeah, I can make it. I can make it worse. <laughs> I, that is my skill in life: is just making shit worse. <laughs> Breakup, miscarriage, marriage, dating. Yeah, I can make everything worse. <laughs> Never a podcast, strangely. So the Aww. UK, the, so so the UK Aww. has this this I one. Love you so much, love you too. Has this rare based policy called NIBMAR, no independence before majority rule. If you want to get rid of London, you have to become a democracy or else. Not just a rare based British policy, a rare based Tory policy. Like yeah. the winds of change was a Harold Macmillan thing. He went to South Africa and said the party's over, which is back when the Tories sometimes had a backbone about things. I think part of it was just being an outsider, right? Like I think yeah. if you if if you were within the sort of the white population of South Africa or Rhodesia, it genuinely you could not process the idea that this was not a sustainable form of government. And then right. if you if you weren't, if you came in from the outside and you saw, wait a second, there's like a hundred of these guys to one of you, you're making them do all of the menial labor and all of them hate you. This is gonna end with either you resigning or them making you. You know, people look to people looked at you like you were speaking Martian. Yeah, no, we're gonna talk about the amounts of self-delusion. And 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 all the folk songs that resulted. Absolutely. So because of because of these processes, because of these humiliations and inequalities, this leads to next slide, please. African national liberation, decolonization, and very often communism movements. Oh, yeah. The good guys. It's, yeah, that's it. It's because famous for being the good guys. <laughs> well, communism <laughs> communism is in in the sixties, and particularly the really dangerous kind of communism where you like go around liberating the oppressed peoples of the third world. Um, and so this leads to the formation of two groups, um, and this, these mirrored like splits both in communist and communist ideology and in uh, then Rhodesian society. Right. So we have our two guys on the top right here. Uh, I'm amazed that hmm. communists manage to liberate anything because they're always sniffing their own butts. 
Well, uh, because but, what communists do is lick their own butts. This is if my we're very sophisticated about, political critique. If we're talking fight, about fight, liberating fight. Zimbabwe, we'll, we'll we'll sort of judge how good a job communism made of that. But so on on the left here, the guy with the glasses, that's Robert Mugabe. Uh, Robert oh, picture here before the fall from grace. Yeah, he, still, like, still I, the he, very pronounced philtrum. He should have stuck with the, the the shorter haircut. He looks better with it. Yeah, he was kind of handsome. He's actually. a handsome man. In, in uh, like mm. I, I like the guy to his right who just looks like he's sort of in total disbelief. Oh, you mean <laughs> Doctor Joshua Nakomo? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so 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 Mugabe is the head of an organization called ZANU. Uh, the Zimbabwe, uh, uh, the Zimbabwe National oh, Union, I, I want to say. Uh, the, yeah, the Zimbabwe African National Union, correct. Um, and this is Maoist for the most part, because uh, the Soviets won't give Mugabe the guns that he wants, so he just goes to the, the Chinese. That is understandable, I would do the same thing. Um, and th this also results in sort of a, a Maoist theory of how to liberate Zimbabwe, which is Rural peasantry, same as what worked for Mao. All right, you you take a sort of a, a Chinese system of revolution and you apply it to to the circumstances of Zimbabwe. Uh, incidentally, that means that a lot of their support uh, is Shona people, not exclusively, but it, later on this will take on a sort of a more sectarian, more ethnic divide. Um, on the right, you have Joshua Nkomo, who is head of ZAPU, the Zimbabwe Armed People's African, Union. African, African People's Union, I think. African believe. People's Union. Uh, and they're mostly into Bele. And this is on the, their sort of insurgency is on the Soviet mold, because Joshua Nkomo is the Kremlin's guy. Like, because as we know, the Soviet Union never took a sort of chauvinistic or domineering attitude towards. No. No. Towards the third world, it certainly never considered that Moscow was the head office of the revolution, and therefore they got to decide who the branch office manager was. But if they had, hypothetically, they would have decided that Joshua Nkomo was their branch office manager. Uh, he he was like the kind of guy that they wanted, and therefore they were gonna like install him at the head of this, and they were gonna like liberate it on a Soviet model of of revolution, which is urban factory workers. Um, you you have sort of a very mechanized form of war. Uh, you can sort of compare these two to like the sort of the uh, you know the North Vietnamese army compared to the Viet Cong. Right? Now, what is the sort of main um, factory work that goes on in Rhodesia at this point? What kind of heavy industry? Uh, what kind of goods are they exporting? Every curiously, these factories. Curiously, yeah. there's a bit of chrome mining, which is like, uh, or not mining, but processing. Uh, that's the major, like, heavy industry. Um, and then you have a lot of, like, light industry, but you've sort of identified a, a, a serious problem here, which is that there are a fuckload more rural peasants than there are urban workers. Yeah, I'm not familiar with, like, the huge like car factories of Rhodesia or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like like people working on the assembly lines. The Lada, but it's one of those safari wagons that Renault put out in the 70s. Yeah, everyone oh, knows yeah, that yeah. Salisbury was the Detroit of Southern Africa. <laughs> and the, the, other, the other sort of problem here is, is the Soviets don't really know how to do 
unconventional war in the same way the Maoists do. They, they're, 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 their instinct is always to try and raise a conventional force as quickly as possible. You stop doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, what you want is to make a. You want to make a little red army and you want to roll it straight in like it's Berlin. It, yeah. It's not really. It's not really until sort of Angola later on and they realize that the Cubans have a better idea of how to do people's war than they do. Uh, Still turning up with a folded gap for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so. You, Oh, also, I forgot to mention one of my favorite facts about Joshua and Como, uh, history's most radical Georgist. Of course he is. You didn't you didn't really have to be a very doctrinaire communist to be Moscow's guy, and so his thing was Georgism, you know? Sure. Why the hell not, man? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, sure. Could have been worse. <laughs> uh so we're setting the stage here for a little a little insurgency, a little bush war or series of wars. But what happens is there's there's a political decision made in 1965 uh, where Rhodesia has had enough of this idea of majority rule in order to get independence. And our next slide, please, Guy, conducts something called UDI, Unilateral Declaration of Independence. Oh uh, my god. Yeah. Uh, hey, do you god. want to talk about Ian Smith? Uh, I'm going to need a fresh beer to talk about this motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to talk, talk about Ian Douglas Smith. With uh, the ass in that. Emphasis like on that. the ass, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and basically, he is going to be the author of all our pain here. He will be the <laughs> prime minister of Rhodesia for almost the entirety of its, I might emphasize, unrecognized independence. No one ever recognizes Rhodesia, not even no. its so-called allies. It was a rogue uh, state. It was a pariah state. It, 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 Good. Yeah, he. It, yeah, him. no. It, right in his dumb face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, so just no, let no one ever tell you, you know, anything other than Rhodesia was just a, a nothing that no one wanted anything really to do with. So, a, a brief summary of his life up until UDI is sort of, you know, he was born into a, sort of a, a well to do family. His dad, I think, saw that nice poster that Alice uh, showed us and, and came there from, I think, Northumberland. Mm. Uh, they, he did, his dad did like basically what I can describe shortly as rich white landowner shit, farming, mining, uh, business. He was, he was a member of the local Mason's Lodge. Um, God, rancid and, vibes in that, in that lodge, yeah. I imagine. Uh, yeah. Oh, it, it, it's gotta be the most cursed, uh, Freemason's Lodge anywhere in the British Empire. Just a bunch of guys like sweating in these incredibly hot aprons in he the middle of an African summer. Just wait a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, he goes to college, and and uh, after World War II has begun, uh, he joins the the Air Force, uh, gets sent to the Mediterranean, uh, where he will uh, unfortunately cheat death twice. Uh, first occasion, I believe, is 1943, when his, I think it was a, a Hawker Hurricane, uh, crashes shortly after takeoff in Egypt. Uh, he is, breaks just about every bone in his body. Is horrifically burned, very nearly Again, it dies. Didn't finish the job. <laughs> didn't finish the job. Though I still, I do have to give critical support to the Hawker to Hawker Aircraft Limited for almost <laughs> killing him. Um, sort of John I, McCain level of combination of political yeah. inability and piloting inability. They have to reconstruct his face, which is why the right side of his face looks a little off. It will become more pronounced they, as he gets older. They did a good job considering, like you look at some yeah. of the like early plastic surgery from the Second World War. The, yeah. Um, um, but uh, that's the first time he cheats death. The second time is he gets shot down over northern Italy on a mission in 1944. I'm not going to give critical support to German aircraft, anti-aircraft gunners, <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to still wish that they 
still got to wish that they finished the job. The the uh, important thing is that Ian like Smith would have fit right in with them. I don't for, know. For, for, so, for so many times in World War Two, there are guys shooting at each other, going. But the important thing is we're both racist. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, I know, that's the thing. I know. That, like so many of these surgery were, doesn't refer to actual plastic, but I am imagining they had to reconstruct his face with the old kind of plastic that the exploding billiard balls were made of. Oh yeah, <laughs> Bakelite. Yeah. Bakelite. Yeah. Reconstructing your face out of the same thing you make AK magazines out of. I mean, they used to, they used to do this in the First World Wars. They would make like facial prostheses uh, with like out of tin and like all those gold things that look creepy like that. as hell. Like I yeah. think there was a guy that wears it in like Boardwalk Empire. Or yes. Something. Yeah. 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 Uh, you Absolutely. Look like, you look like a Cyberman out of Doctor Who. Wow. <laughs> you guys are racist and not cool about it. Yeah. No- <laughs> That cannot emphasize enough how much Ian Smith is racist and not cool. He gets shot down. He does some like partisan bullshit for a while. Eventually, he is found and rescued by uh, by the U.S. military. Sorry, this guy and a bunch uh, of fucking communist partisans. They're all singing Bella Ciao, and he's like, "I can't wait to get home and do mm-hmm. racism." <laughs> <laughs> Which is what he does after the war. Is is he gets sent home and he does some racism by by running for office and being elected to parliament. And for a while, he's just kind of, you know, a, a nobody. He's just a backbencher. He doesn't really do a lot. What gets him his wings is basically when the whole discussion of decolonization comes about. And he sort of becomes the voice in an already, he becomes the most right wing person in an already extraordinarily white right wing country. In his own mouth. Yeah. Mm. Like he, he, he becomes the guy who's basically not only no, but hell no when it comes to decolonization. Uh, and he sort of gets a boost from this, him and his party, which would eventually be called the Rhodesia Front, from essentially the crisis in the Congo, where you see a lot of uh, dead white Belgian colonists in the streets that really freak out all the Rhodesian farmers. And it sort of propels his party into office right as the, the Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland is, is falling apart. Yeah, and the, the, the awareness begins to strike, and a little bit of like, not even guilt, but just awareness that like, oh, all of this shit I've been doing for the my entire life could end with me getting hacked to death with machetes. Yeah, he, he, they've done a lot of sewing, and he's starting to see the reaping on the horizon, and his attitude is just, well, I would rather not. Yeah. Uh, so to that extent, they sweep into power, and then he even ousts his own party leader for not being right-wing enough dealing Jesus with the British Christ. in terms of the you know, negotiating. There wasn't really much negotiating. It was just the British were like, you need to decolonize, and it was the Rhodesians going, no. Uh, uh, so in 1965, you have the Unilateral Declaration of Independence. Uh, very immediately, he outlaws and cracks down on the a- almost all the African nationalist parties uh, after getting into power, and we just start on a path to unavoidable war. So basically, of everything that's about to happen, you can lay a good chunk of it at this man's feet. Yeah, the sort of dead hand of white supremacy clinging on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we've we've talked about uh, Zanu and Zafu, who would like develop armed organizations as a response to this. Uh, now we've got to talk about the other bad guys, opposed to Ian Smith. Uh, next slide, please. We gotta talk about the Rhodesian security forces. Because oh, of course boy. we do. Because because not only do we have to talk about them, because this is what most what a people dumb who, hat. Yeah, dumb. <laughs> yeah. It's a dumb hat. That's a terrible we, poster, is the thing. A, it, yet, yet people just masturbate furiously to this goddamn thing. And and we have to talk about them not just because their image is so associated with Rhodesia's existence, but Rhodesia could not exist without the Rhodesian security forces because uh, well, you know, it was sort of a large hostage situation of a country. Yeah, 
Well, it, it, Rhodesia was unusual uh, in that it was most co- British colonies at the time did not have its own military. Like you had some of the Commonwealth dominions that had their own militaries, like Canada and Australia and so on. But by by this point, by like World War II, they're already functionally independent countries. They share a monarch. They have political, economic, military connections, but they are independent. Rhodesia was not, but it still had its own military. The most you had compared to this in other places where you had locally raised regiments like the King's African Rifles or the Gurkhas and stuff, but they were still part of the British Army. Rhodesia had its own military wholesale, like they would integrate at points during war, but it was still basically independent. They controlled their procurement and things like that. And at it was the much time, larger. You, you have multiple yeah. regiments of infantry. You have uh, you have a cavalry regiment, which is what we see here with the low armored cars. Yeah, uh, uh, maintained by conscription exclusively at this point of white men who then went on to become reservists who could be called up. Uh, at this point, uh, black and mixed race people could join, but it wouldn't be till later they would join in larger numbers, and you get some interesting. You get some interesting dynamics later on as they, the Rhodesians get more desperate. But at this time, it's predominantly white, uh, small, but unfortunately well-trained, well-equipped. At the time of UDI, they have helicopters, they have jet fighters, they have jet bombers. They'll get more of those from South Africa as the war goes on. But, but having a military right off the bat when most colonies did not meant when they declared UDI, they could immediately protect themselves both against an internal rebellion but also basically created a deterrent from anyone who might want to do an invasion to, to overturn UDI, which was something oh, that, sure. while it was a little bit laughable, was not completely out of the cars at the time. There were serious discussions among the British government of should we invade to force them to, you know, which we should have done. Rule. We should have done, done it. Blow up a couple of these fucking armored cars, you yeah, know. Uh, yeah. Blow up a few, a few, you know, vampires or whatever on yeah. the runway at Salisbury. I'm, I'm not uh, handing it. I'm not, I'm not giving it to the British, but what I, I am saying, the logistics were not quite on their side because if you wanted to invade Rhodesia, and you can't go up through South Africa because they weren't going to fucking let you do it. Uh, you can't go in through Mozambique because the Portuguese weren't going to let you do it. And really, that left going through Zambia by way of Tanzania, and I. Don't think either of them were especially eager to have thousands of British troops on their soil several years after independence. Mm. So you're, they were kind of between a rock and a hard place, even if they wanted to do it. But uh, but yeah, depending on who you talk to on the internet, uh, not that I think any of us are really talking to these types of people. This is this was one of the most depending elite on military what posts you read. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, posts you read. This is one of the most elite military formations that was ever raised in the history of warfare. You know, masters of counterinsurgency, masters of counterterrorism, to which I say, check the scoreboard. Count the rings. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, these, these, these are just, you know, we, we, they, they're, they're known especially for some of their quote-unquote elite units, the Rhodesian Light Infantry, the Saloy, 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 I, I never know Sealus. Sealus Fre- Scouts. Na- named after like Frederick Sealus, who was one of the yeah. scouts on the, the Pioneer Column way back. Right. Uh, and then the Rhodesian SAS, who actually cut their teeth in the melee emergency. Uh, uh, all bastards and, mm-hmm, and all all people who are gonna make the next you know ten to fifteen years of living hell for everyone who isn't white living in this country. Yeah, so of course in, insurgency breaks out uh, more or less immediately uh, after UDI. So sixty five or so. Um, yeah, and we'll get to that on I think next slide, please. Having having thus seen our contestants, uh, so. This is remarkably low scale. This is one of your small wars, right? At this point, right? Uh, 
Um, yeah, they don't immediately move into large scale arms. Like, uh, depending on who you read, you can. I tend to divide this, go with the school of dividing this war up into three phases. And the early phase goes from 1965 to like the early mid 70s. And Zanu and Zapu don't immediately move into large scale arms struggle. Uh, part of this is they're still hoping the British might actually intervene militarily, which again, we kind of laugh now, but wasn't completely out of the question at the time. Yeah. As it becomes more obvious, the British may not do anything. They establish their own uh, armed wings to to uh, try and do something about this. So uh, ZANU uh, establishes the Zimbabwe African National Liberation Army, or ZANLA, and uh, uh, ZAPU establishes the Zimbabwe People's Revolutionary Army, or ZIPRA. And they start... Uh, doing some small-scale operations. Zipra primarily works out of Zambia, formerly northern Rhodesia, and Zanla mainly operates out of the areas of northern Mozambique, which are controlled by uh, Frelimo, which is yeah, the, the... The Rhodesians can't like attack over the border except when they want to do like a big set-piece thing, which they will occasionally do later in the war for propaganda reasons as much as anything else. But for the most part, it's, it's a lot like Vietnam in this way, is that you have this border that Rhodesian troops are sort of like largely unable to, to cross, where you can just have a rear area for your insurgency, where you can train, where you can re-equip. Um, right. But, but at this point, they're mainly I'll just doing- my rear area of insurgency. <laughs> oh, baby. So uh, the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Yeah. They're, they're, they're doing mostly just Small-scale infiltration, insurgency, sabotage—nothing huge. The first yeah, real you, major. You, like, you look at you look at like after-action reports, and it's like a guy with an AK shoots at like a farmhouse from the bush, hits nothing, leaves. And and even the first major battle, quote unquote major, is relatively small. It, you have a small column of like a squad-sized element of I think uh, Zanla forces, who who are trying to I think they were trying to cut a pipeline. And and they uh, get uh, intervened uh, by a, a group of the of the BSAP, the British South Africa Police, mainly reservists who are basically just farmers who also have a police uniform in their closet. And that battle, that first battle, is a complete. The, the, don't get me wrong, the Rhodesians win it, but it's a complete shit show for everyone involved. Like the the, the only it's a, it's a that, huge boost to the Rhodesian army because uh, yeah. Smith, Smith and others decide that the, this means that the police are like inequipped to deal with an insurgency they, which is they, true they, they miss so many times like and then the zanla guys basically like they lose because they run out of ammunition everyone's just firing wildly it's like the a team they're just kicking up dust at each other's feet <laughs> there's a there's a rhodesian helicopter with a gunner who shoots at one guy and i think they like let off like several hundred rounds of ammunition before they they actually finally kill the guy so it's a it's, it's it's a complete mess and and no one really all these attacks are very much of a muchness. They don't accomplish anything. And I mean, once the military gets involved over the police, the Rhodesians really have the upper uh, hand in this period. You don't have to hand it to them, but they are effectively, they're, they're winning the battles. Uh, Zipper tries to get the upper hand by teaming up with the armed wing of the African National Congress in South Africa, the MK, who I'm not going to try and pronounce their name because I will butcher it. Mkontowesizwe is my effort Beautiful. there. Yeah. You're braver than I am, Alice. Uh, <laughs> Let me know in the comments if I've got that wrong. And and all that really accomplishes is it scares the absolute shit out of South Africa, and they send a bunch of troops. They call them police, but it's it's troops and aid to Rhodesia to bolster them, which just 
makes things go even better for them in this era. Yeah, this so is a recurring theme is that like uh, South Africa is always the silent partner at this point because their view is you know it, it's it's better to be fighting the insurgency there in Rhodesia than to be fighting it in South Africa, which was you know yeah. it, it, essentially their feeling was if you if if Rhodesia becomes a democracy, it will then become the sort of over the border rear area for whatever insurgency happens in South Africa. Exactly. So, so by 1970, both Zipper and Zanla basically pause their attempts at infiltration, just sort of like go back to the drawing board to rethink their approach. And the effect this will have in the long term is it makes the Rhodesians feel very overconfident, cocky, complacent. They're basically like, well, if this is what the whole war is going to be. We got this. We can just deal with this indefinitely. And that basically is Rhodesia's strategy at this point, is they're just going to postpone majority rule indefinitely. Which, as someone who works with military strategy, I cannot emphasize to you enough how much that is not a strategy. <laughs> that is, it's, just, you it's, just keep, you do quite literally the forever war. You just keep you, making it happen, and then you never you, have to do democracy. You open up the Rhodesia national security strategy, and it's one sentence, and that sentence is, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they create a strong sense of, of security and confidence during this period, which, which makes what's happened next in the next phase of the war a real shock to the Rhodesians. Was you know shame? Are oh, they going to get got? They're going to uh, get got. Well, they're going to get got by world events, which is one of the worst ways you can get got. Uh, next slide, please. So you, you may you may notice that uh, so one of one of Rhodesia's borders to its east is Mozambique, which is a Portuguese colony. Portugal is run by a fascist military dictatorship called the Estado Novo, um, and did things go a bit? Wrong with that. There's a there's a peaceful revolution, an unambiguous win for for socialism in 1974, the Carnation Revolution. Where yeah, a rare a rare W where you have a, the a hippies left wing, win. You the have a left win. wing democratic socialist revolution, largely spearheaded by the army. The woke troops. Literally oh, go. The, the they them army. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That one guy with the communism will win had at West Point. Imagine fifty thousand of him. Uh, fifty thousand of them <laughs> with carnations and their Heckler and Koch G three rifles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, we we will not maintain an African colony anymore. We we will not do fascism anymore. Yeah. We would we would like to do we would like to do democracy now. And they 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 oust the regime. Um. This leads to the independence of Mozambique in 1975. It's the top right picture. Um, and Frelimo, which is the, the communist insurgency in Mozambique, uh, led here by an incredibly attired General Samora Michel. He is uh, working that Castro fit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, becomes, you know, it, it gains control of Mozambique. Um, and, and this leads to. Like, it, it, instead of being like mostly safe to run an insurgency from, uh, Mozambique becomes one hundred percent safe to run an insurgency you from. Guys because go have fun. We'll be here making dinner when you get back. Exactly, yeah. because now the government is on your side. Yeah, like, and and at this point, like, it it's just such a huge deal for Rhodesia because it, it previously they only had to worry about one part of Mozambique, and now you have their entire eastern border is now something they have to worry about. Where where uh, Zan Zanla has all these safe havens where they can train, equip, reorganize all these things. This is a, a nightmare uh, for for the Rhodesians. They also lose a source of their support 
because uh, they were getting supported by the Estado Novo government, who were you know helping supply them with oil and other things. But that's not the only problem they're running into, uh, because South Africa at this point is increasingly becoming tired of Rhodesia's bullshit. Um, and they've never we, we touched on this a bit earlier, but they never really quite liked each other. Uh, they had this is my big thing is not everyone anyone ever tell you that there's no such thing as right wing infighting and it's only left wing infighting. Right wingers fight with each other all the time, and this is an excellent uh, example of it because even though they have things in common, they can't quite get over their hangups. Uh, the Rhodesians don't really respect the South Africans a lot at this phase because when the South Africans send troops, they're not very experienced. They're kind of blundering all over. The Rhodesians think they're a joke. Meanwhile, the South Africans don't like the Rhodesians because they think they're too British. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bear in mind, a, a lot of white Rhodesian identity is based around not being South African, a thing which in every other respect you are. Yeah, uh, like, sure. Like, like they're basically, they see them as like, essentially just being like Bush British. They're, they're Savannah gas. Um, <laughs> Rack off me. Wait, that's Australian. Well, uh, I, I, I often describe the the Rhodesian accent as being like an Australian guy trying to sound like he's doing a South African accent. It's like a, <laughs> oh, it's, like like a Bunta, it's like a Bunta Vista guy trying to do a Jerk Vanderclerk voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's there's also been a blockade of Rhodesia, which you know it limits their ability to obtain. Guns and planes and tanks. Like the South Africans send them, but there's they put caps on how much they're willing to send in terms of oil and supplies. They basically put a cap on how much they're willing to actually break the embargo. Yeah, and that cap's mm-hmm. going to get smaller because we have uh, an unexpected intervention here by by friend of the pod, uh, Henry Alfred Kissinger, oh, um, the most it. ethical man in the world. Uh, who's basically coming here fresh off of you know, his many other successful quote-unquote peacemaking efforts to solve the Rhodesia problem. Um, and and he comes in, and the South Africans at this point, they're trying to cool things down too. They, um, you know, despite also being delusional about their long-term survival, they also know they can't fight everyone at once. So they're trying to seek basically a detente with the other African nations in Southern Africa to sort of buy them some space and time. And and Kissinger works with them to basically put pressure on Rhodesia to to you know basically actually come to the negotiating table and do something serious. And it just sort of drives home that despite their supposed you know anti-communist credentials, you know which we'll talk about, Rhodesia is just kind of the kid in the class. No one really wants anything to do with if you're respectable. Like no one really wants anything to do with these guys. It's just uh, they they see it as an unfortunate reality they have to sometimes interact with. So yeah, for sure. In 1976, under pressure from the U.S., under pressure from South Africa, Ian Smith agrees to majority rule, quote unquote, in principle, within two years. So we're oh, done, boy. right? Pod, podcast over, right? No, because we, we go back to the big strategy that they have, which is keep putting it off forever. Exactly. They, so we're, we're not quite done yet. Uh, and, and the Rhodesians are going to keep doing all the things they have been doing in hopes that it will, it will protect them. Uh, one example of which is on the next slide. Ah, uh, we get to talk about the big, the big set piece shit. The, the special move, the thing that they love to do. Oh, the thing alting? that. Yeah, every, every, <laughs> yeah, everybody fucking. If you if you talk to a guy who's a little too interested in Rhodesia, they are going to mention Fire Force, uh, which I can only describe as a Rube Goldberg ass way of doing counterinsurgency. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, something that you can only do if you have an Air Force. 
a big country that you can't get around very easily, uh, and an absolute necessity of maintaining settler colonialism. Yeah, it's 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 like everyone acts like this is the greatest fucking thing ever, and and I just see this as as sort of basically like if you look at it carefully enough, is an indicator of all of Rhodesia's weaknesses, in which they don't have a lot of troops, they have a lot of territory to cover, and they have a lot of insurgents coming into their territory. None of these seem like good things, but you know, Rhodesia booze will act like this is the most brilliant Rhodesia thing ever. Booze. Yeah. <laughs> like so oh, no, you don't understand. It's so sophisticated that first they have to drop paratroopers in because the helicopters won't get there fast enough and that they have to do this and do this that. Is, this is one of the other problems is it's sophistication. It's very sort of uh it's very elaborate, right? The the idea is that you find uh insurgents who are trying to infiltrate the country, ideally you catch them in the open or in a village. And then you use a combination of dropping parachute, dropping paratroopers on top of them, or like uh, sort of helicopter-borne infantry uh, and and helicopter air support to uh, like contain them and kill as many of them as possible. However, this takes for fucking ever. It's a huge deployment of resources. It works very well, uh, but it you know you might be killing a couple of dozen people at a time. And you know you could miss another three or four of these while you're engaging in this big sort of like ballet of moving your little counters around on a map. Um, I I also want to put out here uh, if you look at where that uh, Alouette three helicopter is firing near those huts, none of those guys appear to have weapons. Those stick figures. Don't need them. Oh well, yeah. Oh, the, no, this is genocide. Hearts and minds is not something that is practiced in Rhodesia for a long time no. during the the, the Bush yeah. War. Uh, like this, this whole thing works initially in the initial phase because they're not dealing with a very strong insurgency. But this whole thing really falls apart the, from the mid seventies on, as basically the tide of numbers. I mean, it, it makes me think of a quote I, I heard about uh, the Vietnam War from an American journalist, which was basically, we were fighting the birth rate of a nation. Uh, <laughs> in this case, the Rhodesians were just fighting the entirety of the nation because they weren't really the nation. They were just a bunch of guys who showed up and decided we own it. Yeah, for sure. This is written about so lovingly in like military history circles. Um, if, you just, if you look at the Wikipedia entry for Fire Force, it has, it has sentences on it like, the plight of the civilians was most profoundly realized by the troops. Citation was it, needed. Was it now? Well, I mean, citation needed. White man's burden. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, you can talk for hours and hours, and previously we did, about the sort of Rhodesian military strategy and tactics. Um, uh, but next slide, please. That's, that's sort of a problem because it, it, it always acts as if Rhodesia is a perfect test bed, right? Where uh, you know, Rhodesia is just inventing counterinsurgency methods on a totally passive enemy, which they're not, right? They're, they're, they're fighting a, a serious insurgency that is doing an effective Maoist people's war, especially in its later stages. With but, some serious fits. Look at these. Oh, incredible, incredible stuff. The like yellow turtleneck, the guy just holding like what I think looks like a loose RPG round. As you uh, know, that's, uh, that's, um, uh, are you talking about that guy in the top left picture? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an older RPG. That's the RPG 2, which is like oh, the wow. first generation, which is literally just like a tube with a rocket on the end. Incredible. And then you have that guy in the bottom left with the, the pig sticker Chinese uh, AK bayonet. Yeah. It's just great stuff all around. So, so these guys didn't get a lot of write-ups about how cool they were. Uh, for some reason that I can't quite put my finger on. Um, 
And it, it, it is difficult mm. to talk about or to write about because, like, very few of these guys wrote memoirs. Those of them that did tend to be quite heavily propagandized. Um, but we have these two insurgency groups. We have Zanla and Zipra. Zanla's sort of operating a more conventional insurgency. Zipra is mostly waiting for Zanla to do the hard work and then drive in. Um, <laughs> I respect that that work ethic. They have like a couple of BTRs, like Soviet wheeled armor personnel carriers, that they're just like keeping in reserve, and they're just going to drive in over the border when the moment looks right. Um, and bear in mind those armored cars from earlier. I think if the Rhodesians saw saw uh, sort of. Zimbabwe and BTRs coming over the horizon, that would have been a wet dream for them. I, um, the, they, they, they did actually end up basically capturing a lot of Zipra's armored vehicles and just using them themselves because they didn't have a lot, which is hilarious. <laughs> so so you, you, your Zanla like, offensive operation is exactly the kind of nasty insurgent guerrilla stuff that you expect worldwide. You know, you mine roads because only troops and white people are going to be driving. Uh, you, sure. you do you do bombings? They bomb a a, a Woolworths in Salisbury. Um, oh God, the Woolworths <laughs> has fallen! Oh my God, <laughs> where am I was supposed it, what, to get my discount scarves now? What where was it? Like uh, I think it was it was oh brother, where art thou? Just like a couple of bombers getting thrown out of the Woolworths and stay out of Woolworths. <laughs> they, but they do little like ambushes, sniping. Um, like generally speaking, what you don't want to do is you don't want to fight the Rhodesian army, especially not in a pitched battle. You want to shoot one or two of them at a time and place of your choosing, and then leave. Right. Um, it's, sure. it's Mao's guide to insurgency, of which. Uh, there are three phases, and they're still very much in the first, maybe second phase, uh, which eventually will culminate in a conventional war. The Soviets tend to just want to immediately jump to stage three. Mao's yeah. like, no, 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 we got to take our time with this shit. Fold again, fold again, fold again, fold You also have attacks on like isolated soft targets, so like white-owned farms, missionary posts, boarding schools, even, which leads me to one one observation, which is that this is not what you'd call a nice war, if there's such a thing. It's no. not a very Geneva no, Convention obeying war. It's a war, war. It's a on, war on either kind on either side. Yeah, uh, like you know, both sides tortured, both sides killed civilians more or less indiscriminately. Uh, both used that as propaganda against the other. This is possibly the only thing that separated Zanla from the Rhodesian security forces was like they probably raped more people, but even that's not like. A zero number on the Rhodesian side, either. So, and to be fair, this is to clarify. Not to you know, I think any of us are saying this. This does not mean that like, oh, both sides were just as bad. The Rhodesians were still absolutely the bad guys. But you know, you see the situation where this this sort of settler colonium creates where everything is awful, even for the good guys. Yeah, absolutely. And also, this this is like the method of war that they had been trained to pursue. It, it was a doctrine. It right. wasn't sort of like ill discipline. It was uh, it was explicitly a sort of a political and military objective. The cruelty um, is the point. Absolutely, right. absolutely. Um, and it, this sort of like this affects their popular support too. You get into this situation where a lot like with the Viet Cong, it becomes questionable whether people are collaborating with them out of Sympathy, coercion, uh, often the chance to like use them against your own personal enemies. Like, there's a guy you don't like. You say, uh, "Hey, that guy's informing against you," and you send him off to get killed. Uh, and it's it's probably a bit of all of those. Um, yep. But so the, the the sort of objectives of this insurgency are 
as I say, you don't fight the army. Uh, what you want to do is you want to create a climate of hostility and terror that like dries up their sources of information. No one talks to the army because you'll get killed. Uh, dries up their sources of cooperation. No one joins the army because they're going to get killed. Uh, it shuts down industry, especially tourism. Like you, you, you shoot up a, a resort or whatever. No one's coming back for the next year. Um, you raise white emig emigration they from the country. The discounts, though, Alex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you, so you dry up their manpower, and also you make the Rhodesian soldier even more racist, and even more afraid, and even more stupid, so that they act in worse ways that you can then use against them, that will then radicalize people against them. Uh, none of it's nice, but you know, I, I think one thing that's always missing from narratives about Rhodesia is that this was a strategy, it was pursued deliberately, Zanla were good at it, and it worked. Uh, yeah, so, so this is... Uh, the, the, yeah, I guess this next slide then. So I always yeah, like this poster. Make poster, money. Look for this. Nah. Uh, that post, I, I think that poster has the same energy as a poster you would see in the London Underground. <laughs> see, like, see it sorted. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, These are but, some yeah. of the things carried by terrorists. Yeah. You will be paid up to that. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it, it absolutely just feels like something you would see in the underground of the 70s. But so, yeah, this is the final stage of the war, 1976 to 1979, where shit really gets real for Rhodesia, and they start to realize we can't just wait our way out of this. Just noticed uh, the first dollar sign in this poster has two lines, but the second one only has one line. That's true. Terrible typesetting. That's very typesetting. It just goes to show how how standards were just falling by the wayside by the later phases <laughs> well, in the war. Because Zanla had shot the guy who puts the second brushstroke through the dollar <laughs> sign before he did the second one. What are you going to do? Or either that or the guy decided to emigrate and they just needed to get the poster out on time. <laughs> but but it, it escalates dramatically from 1977 on. Uh, Zandla and Zipper Gorillas are infiltrating in far greater numbers than they were before. They're launching my favorite larger. Thing we're recording. I don't know if it's picking up on my mic. It's just the screams of the nine other people in this house. I, I <laughs> you know, it just means that you're you're living in the hip happening place to be. Please have yeah. some weird buzzing on your audio. Yeah, oh, it's blowing buzzing. out the game a little out, bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, go in the menus. Yep. But any, but you're getting better. Worse, yes. better? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's just, it, I think you were just slightly too close to the microphone. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, it's a headset mic. Sorry, I'm a gamer. I need, yeah, to, that's I need right. to keep that thing on me in what's, case I what's, need to what's, drop... What's, what's, what's your favorite slur? Uh, <laughs> you don't have to answer that. I, I, no, it's... Uh... <laughs> oh, do you remember the, the time someone wow. accused me of saying slurs? That that's why we use the sensor thing? Because I was busy saying slurs, and it's like, no, it's because I'm busy telling, I'm busy saying you should go to, uh, Brett Cap him and his dumb corpse over to fuck Stop censoring me! Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even know how I'm gonna bleep that out later, because Alice tried to bleep it out, but I have to do it in post for it to actually work. Hi, it's Justin. Uh, so this is a commercial for the podcast that you're already listening to. Uh, people are annoyed by these, so let me get to the point. We have this thing called Patreon, right? The deal is you give us two bucks a month, and we give you an extra episode once a month. Uh, sometimes it's a little inconsistent, but, you know, it's two bucks. You get what you pay for. 
Um, it also gets you our full back catalog of bonus episodes, so you can learn about exciting topics like guns, pickup trucks, or pickup trucks with guns on them. The money we raise through Patreon goes to making sure that the only ad you hear on this podcast is this one. Anyway, that's something to consider if you have two bucks to spare each month. Uh, join at patreon.com forward slash WTYPpod. Do it if you want. Or don't. It's your decision, and we respect that. Back to the show. Shit, <laughs> shit, fuck. <laughs> Look! Look! It's still not as bad as the first time we tried to record this. Where the, the forty-five where the, the... minutes of actionable threats. <laughs> Release the Liam cut. Release the Liam cut. All right, let's but, get uh, through this bitch. I'm right. so far. I would just want to get drunk, man. Uh, I, 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 we'll get there. We're we're getting there. Uh, so let's they're go, launching lar- speed run it, baby. <laughs> we're launching large. They're launching larger, more ambitious, more destructive attacks. They're killing more people. They're they're making things more unsettled. The, the Rhodesian security force is also escalating. They're launching cross-border raids into Mozambique and Zambia to try and attack Zanlin Zipper where they're training. Yeah, it doesn't uh, work. Yeah, doesn't work. They is try this, and fluff it up a bit. Is this man wearing Chuck Taylors? Yes. In addition to his... Listen, I, I have a rant about this. Shorts? It's going gonna, it's gonna to delay the episode a bit, but I do have Go a short it. rant about this, which is wearing sneakers to the wall is one of the most effective methods of both insurgency and counterinsurgency. The Chinese People's Liberation Army invaded Korea wearing green canvas liberation shoes that were rip-off Chuck Taylors. Soviet special forces in Afghanistan wore sneakers. Increasingly, the US military has been trying to develop a tactical sneaker for years because boots are fucking terrible. If you want to run anywhere, you need to wear sneakers. And so, this, it, universally in combat zones, it just becomes adopted anyway. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the I new spirit. I love the spir- idea of like just showing up like somewhere outside Kabul, like in Kandahar or somewhere, just rocking like Jordan 11s, being like, "All right, let's do it." Just showing up in your air, just well, showing Taliban up in your Air did. Force ones. The Taliban yeah. won the war in Afghanistan wearing white high tops that they imported from Pakistan. <laughs> I would not have worn white <laughs> if I were going to do an insurgency. At least not after Labor Day. <laughs> At least not after Labor Day. My favorite part of the new spiritual successor to War Game Red Dragon, uh, Warno, is that the Soviet Spetsnaz in the game are wearing makvas. Listen Fantastic. to lines led by donkeys. You'll learn about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So the Rhodesians are doing cross border raids, uh, both on the ground and in the air. They even helped to start a right-wing opposition group in Mozambique called Renamo to try and weaken the Filibo government and prevent Zanu or Zanla from having a base there. So they yeah. basically contribute to starting Mozambique's own, you know, basically 15-year-long civil war, basically to try and, and extend their own lifespan. Call, that calling your, go- like, sort of psyop fascist guerrilla group Renamo is in itself very funny to me. <laughs> They, they, they put down that it needed to be renamed, and it just ended up getting put as the name as a typo. <laughs> God um, damn it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, uh, and, and the attacks get more and more, not only just like bigger in terms of the, uh, the, how they look and scare people, but actually having effects. Like they attack a, a oil refinery outside of Salisbury, which you see in the top right, in 1979. And actually destroy about a quarter of Rhodesia's oil reserves. And when you consider the fact that they don't have a lot of oil at this point, that's a huge blow to them. 
And also really dumb that they had a quarter of their oil reserves in one easy to access and attack location. Uh, but I don't know. There's complacency. I got to tell, tell you. So I stood up to get another beer and to uh, get a Red Bull, and just because my butt's starting to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like a businessman. I'm just walking around my room yelling about Rhodesia. Dicks, 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 sell, dicks, dicks, dicks. You know what? I think to get through this this next part of the pod, I think you just remind me I need need a new Miller Lite. For whoever asked, you know, hey, can you shout out the names of the beers you drink on? Well, there's your problem. Yeah, I drink on these. I'm not gonna like it. I've got a truly strawberry hibiscus margarita. Two of those that I've killed. A uh, mango chili margarita style hard seltzer that I've killed. And I'm on the last one, which is classic lime margarita style hard seltzer. Uh, if this goes over, I will be drinking a two year old Java stout from Victory, which I don't think they make anymore. Um, <laughs> Roz, are you drinking or are you sober? The beer I am drinking is called Dayquil. <laughs> you can do both, you fucking baby. Drinking drinking Dayquil and Nyquil well, creates something called stomach quill. lining, dude. Stomach linings add weight. You want to be aerodynamic, bro. <laughs> That's a yeah. good point. So, I, so I, we also... I'm drinking, I'm drinking a Miller oh. Lite, which I'm told is a fine Pilsner beer because it says so on the can, and the truth is in advertising, so I, I'm not I, going I had, to interrogate that. Are you I had drinking a Cherry those, Coke Zero earlier. Oh, I thought you Thank might you. be drinking one of those dark fruit uh, Strongbows. Mm. I've actually yeah. scheduled so, so, to take another day quill right about now. I'll be right back. Do it, do it, we'll do take it. a break. Yeah, we could take a break if you want. Uh, Alright, so what are the best slurs? Uh, uh translate googling slurs for Rhodesians. I uh yeah, I what I'm gonna do is uh is is highly encourage every listener here to uh go to um what's her name? Amy Coney Barrett's house, and what you do is now that I can't even already, beep it because now won't... that you've got what you do is you and you uh you and then you sort of a Yukio Mishima there. Yeah, I I I believe that the 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 four Supreme Court or the three the six Supreme Court justices shall be. I, so, I say that we should go the North Korean route and break out the anti-aircraft gun. Yeah, I'm honestly fine with that. That, that just, wasn't that wasn't the most fucked up North Korean execution method I, I heard of. All of I these are, imagine, I assume, fake. I just but, can't imagine having to be the guy who has to roll out the AA gun. Like, I understand they're probably trailer pulled or they're stationary. It's on the back like, of a truck for sure. Dude, that would suck. Like, just I, that's that's not the most fucked up. Into the execution site, like I don't want to do this. That's not the that most fucked up North Korean standpoint. execution method I've I've heard mooted. One of the more entertainingly fake ones I've heard was execution by mortar. Like they tie There's you no to a stake and then they put you in a mortar range. <laughs> no, exactly. You're just you're just. That's sitting gonna there. be agonizing because you're just gonna be sitting there because these guys are gonna probably have shit aim with their mortars and just, just watching some, them. Some dude flipping you off behind his handcuffs, like turning around, I... pulling his pants down. On the other <laughs> hand, maybe maybe it's fine to be executed by mortar because it's one of the only methods of execution where the chance of the executioner getting killed by it is almost as high. The AA God. gun doesn't make any sense to me because it's like that's not exactly torturous. I mean, the guy would just be vaporized at a short distance. 
Yeah, maybe also, that's supposed to be the point in that case where it's less about making them suffer, more about like saying the message like the of you will be vaporized. That, that, they're supposed yeah. to, that, like in all of these stories, they do this in sports stadiums. And I'm like, I'd like to see the sports stadium that has enough of a backstop to prevent a like ZU23 round going through a guy, going into through a berm, going into the that concession stand. Yeah. This just reminds me if 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 you can stand me enough to ever have me back that we just need to do an episode Certainly. on the Sergeant York. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, oh, that, sure. that, that thing out Bradley's the Bradley. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh my. Back. I say, oh, I was gonna say mean things about Rods. Just kidding. I feel I bad saying can't, can't, can't think of any. I have nice things to say about Roz. So far, I've, I've, I've so missed handsome. recording with him. You know, I yeah, have. I, I you have too, missed, Liam. I've missed that. I've missed you too. I've missed that muppety voice of Roz's that he's famous Aww. for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, we, we all love Roz, even if he does sound like horse Jordan Peterson. Yeah, Roz, can you just say the quick brown fox <laughs> jumps over the lazy dog for me? Yeah. Up yours, woke moralist. We'll see who cancels who. <laughs> I forget how good of an impressionist you are. I, I almost killed Joe Kasabian with that voice uh, when he was <laughs> when he was oh, streaming uh, Rising Storm for charity for families affected by uh, Azerbaijan's attack on Armenia. <laughs> Azerbaijan Muppet. God. Oh. <laughs> Hey, I subsist on a diet made entirely of meat. <laughs> we're one back. The F one race is outside my apartment. <laughs> it's not very good there. <laughs> no, it isn't easy being a right wing demagogue. <laughs> <laughs> now that you said that, I expect you to cough up roughly a third of your lung. Oh Not god. Only. No, okay. I took, okay. I took the day Did you take more Dayquil? Okay. okay, so, so, did so, so we, we, no, did we, he? we yes. yeah, he did. Okay. So, so, so we finally get a showing from Zipra, the Soviet-based one, uh, at this point, which is using Soviet surface-to-air missiles, like man-portable air defense. Uh, they shoot down a couple of Air Rhodesia planes uh, in 1978 and 1979. Where the were first... you guys for the fucking helicopters? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, helicopters shoot back, and like passenger planes don't. This is one of the calculus, like one of the calculations you got to make in an insurgency. When the first one crashes, a bunch As of people are left left alive on the ground. They get like very murdered. Oh, they uh, extremely yeah. murdered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The second one, I think, is pretty much. Uh, it's not called a uh, double white. doink. It's called a double tap. The double doink is how the Eagles snuck into the playoffs a couple of years ago. <laughs> but double th this doink attack. The, yeah, yeah. The double, <laughs> double doink. You get it? You know, you, the first bomb bounces off the upright, and then it uh, goes across, and the Bears lose. And, you just and then, you, you hear the drone coming, and you just hear, "Is this the dagger?" What's the military equivalent of icing the kicker? <laughs> <laughs> God. Shooting a civilian helicopter to show them you're serious. So, uh, so, so jo Joshua like, Como I, I like lost this to off today. I had to hear the fucking uh, medevac every goddamn night, and I just I, <laughs> I've said this before. I thought to myself, 16-year-old Liam, boy, if I could just get a goddamn RPG-7 up here. <laughs> you, want, you want an SA-7, that's what you want. I if you don't want need an SA-7 from that distance, bud. <laughs> God. So, so these, these shoot-downs, they have a really dramatic effect. Like, like, like Alice says, Nokovo laughs it off, but in terms of in Rhodesia, amongst the white population, this had a real chilling effect in combination with everything else, because it sort of showed the Rhodesians a key thing after all their complacency that 
there's really no longer anywhere in Rhodesia they're safe. Like stores are getting bombed. Again. Yeah, 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 exactly. Walls stores are getting bombed in Salisbury. Planes are getting shot down. There's no safe zones anymore. This is where you get the rise of white flight, white emigration. Rhodesia's white population peaks, I think, around 1974, 1975. I think uh, like maybe three and a half thousand. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, out of I think like four or five million Africans, uh, and from that point on, it starts on a steady decline because people are like, "Fuck this shit! Uh, I I don't want to have to deal with this." Uh, and this is will really accelerate the sort of decline of Rhodesia and and the end of the war. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we see the sort of Rhodesian military strategy is commit as many atrocities as possible, photos of which make it into the the press internationally. Uh, they become sort of the broader anti-apartheid campaign. Uh, like those, those two things are very closely linked, and it's actually very successful uh, at at showing the Rhodesian military for you know what they're actually doing. Yeah, we decided not to show most of them in here because some of them are horrific. There's there's one yeah. that isn't as horrific, but it, it has an impact where they basically have a bunch of of uh, Africans in a front leaning rest position while a, a Rhodesian soldier shoves a Browning high power in their faces interrogating them, and that really tells you all you need to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and th- it shows the sort of strategic, apart from anything else, bankruptcy uh, of, of the Rhodesian military at this point, is we're just, all we can do is, is terrorize. Um, and that leads us to the next slide, where, where KD, I think you have a little rant about counterinsurgency. Oh, this is here. my counterinsurgency rant. Yeah, I've, I've written about this before, um, about people who talk about coin, both, both NATSEC weirdos and armchair generals alike, and it's, you know, whether or not they mention Rhodesia, and a lot of them will. Uh, during the, the peak years of Iraq and Afghanistan, where they were desperately trying to figure out how to win those wars, Rhodesia got seriously brought up as a study to learn from in positive ways. Count the uh, rings. Count yeah, the like, rings. Like, and it's just like, like so many counterinsurgencies is an example where, sure, you might be able to win even overwhelmingly tactical victories, but you'll still lose. And the reason you'll lose, and my whole point of why I, I kind of say that counterinsurgency is effectively i don't know if it's really truly a winnable war i think the only cases in which you can really win a counterinsurgency are are really interesting in in sort of specific exceptions because the you whole can make, reason you can it, make like some sort of like measured concession to it like northern ireland maybe yeah, you can't you can't win all you can the do of ireland is yeah. you can you can you can stave <laughs> off you. defeat yes. or you can lose maybe once in a while in some freak instance you can win but the whole reason you can't really win as a counterinsurgent is because uh, these the reason that counterinsurgency starts is because there were political grievances with a significant, if not majority, of the population that they felt they could rectify through no means, that they had no avenues available to them peacefully to do anything to improve the situation or get the government to address it, and that they had no choice but to take up arms. And as long as those conditions exist, you're going to be fighting insurgency forever. You're not going to win. All you can do is not, you know, lose or make concessions in which that's effectively kind of losing because you have to cede positions you could have just ceded without fighting to begin with. <laughs> it's it's like 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 Clausewitz, you know, the tired saying in my field that it got drummed in me the grad school is war is politics by other means, blah blah. And that's more true with coin because all the reasons that an insurgency starts are because of domestic politics that can't be taken care of peacefully. And all counterinsurgency throughout history is just people recycling the same attempts 
at doing counterinsurgency over and over, pretending like nobody's tried it before. Maybe like, we should do terrorism. Maybe we should do niceness. Maybe we should patrol Lashkar and like berets. And you see this here, Rhodesia, when they tried doing protected villages, which is basically oh, just putting all as many people as they can into effectively concentration camps. This and people is, love that. And the reason they, they do, do that, and that. this. And they brought this up again in Afghanistan because everyone likes to point to the Malayan emergency as a quote-unquote successful counterinsurgency. Ger- Gerald Templer, one of the most fucking historically overhyped motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And one, the only reason that was quote-unquote successful was one, they basically did concentration camps, and two, a lot of war crimes, including by the SAS, including the Rhodesian SAS, and two... It wasn't really a success because within 10 years, a new counterinsurgency started that went on for 20 and ended in a negotiated settlement in the 1980s. So it didn't really successfully win because they just started a new insurgency. And that's why I get a fucking vein in my forehead whenever someone talks about Malaya. Hey, so, we, should, we should really make this, this one doctrine the focus of our entire military to the exclusion of everything else. nothing can go wrong. That's uh, right. Well, Oh that's, that, no, it all went wrong! You just described an average day for me at the office. So, so yeah, I question whether counterinsurgency is ever truly winnable. I don't want to say it is completely, but I want to say it's very, very, very rarely, and 99% of the time it is an unwinnable war. Sort of you should just fucking negotiate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, Excellent. Uh, next slide. So, we talked a little bit about Rhodesia becoming a, a, a pariah state, right? Um... Well, we got to talk about international support for Rhodesia, which in this case is largely international white supremacist support for Rhodesia, right? Uh, See our ad in Soldier of Fortune. Soldier of Fortune was Rhodesia the magazine for a long time. Cannot stress it enough that from when Soldier of Fortune started in like 1975, right up until the end of Rhodesia, it was effectively Rhodesia the magazine. There was not a single issue that did not have an a, a, a fucking story about Rhodesia in it that did not have full page ads recruiting for the Rhodesian security forces, uh, which is interesting because, you know, trying to recruit these guys from overseas, it, it showed really how desperate the Rhodesians were. But even then, they still turned down a bunch of these guys because even for the Rhodesians, a lot of these guys <laughs> that were trying to, who were answering Soldier of Fortune ads were fucking insane. Oh, yeah. And you, like, you, you, people talk a lot about American volunteers, of which there were some. The overwhelming uh, number of, of foreign volunteers were British. There was uh, an independent French company that was then dissolved for ill discipline, and a bunch of its members tried to do bank robberies in Salisbury uh, before becoming mercenaries. Uh, it th- it just become a sh- it was a shower drain for some of the both weirdest and and worst people in the world. Not just French mercenaries and white supremacists and KKK members, but also, uh, interestingly enough, the uh, Crown Prince of Albania, hmm. uh, who you know he he bounced around Europe for a bit after King Zog was kicked out of Albania. <laughs> uh, he he got it's kicked like out of weird little Hearts of Iron reference uh, events firing. You know, yeah, he got kicked out of Spain for having mercenaries and illegal weapons. Uh, on his way to Rhodesia, he got basically ambushed at the airport, and I think it was Gabon by by local like ruffians that had been hired by the Albanian government. And, uh, and allegedly, he <laughs> scared them off with an RPG. Uh, he got to Rhodesia. Where he had his own personal guard who had Albanian flags on Rhodesian brushstrike uniforms and like protected them. 
And eventually in the 90s, after the communist government fell, he returned to Albania for a referendum on restoring the monarchy. And he returned to the capital wearing a full Rhodesian military uniform. Weird as shit. Totally fucking, the, I love it. I just, I love the idea of fail selling your way through Rhodesia only to return to fucking post-communist Albania be like, everything's fine here. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he lost he lost the, that referendum, by the way, handedly. He he said that there was vote rigging. Maybe there was, but, you know, I can't be asked to care. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. And, and but, you can like, see the sort of general themes of Rhodesian external propaganda here, which is self-reliance, small country, anti-communism. Ah, they've, they've adopted the way of Juchek. Yeah, exactly. Some of these advertisements, this advertisement in particular is very pessimistic. These women will die for Rhodesia. Not they in might Shema. die, they will. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I feel like that's, that's not, that, oh, I, you're no, not, you're not showing this to me. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the top right's like, Bobby, can I go to Rhodesia? Which just seems to suggest, yes, we will accept child soldiers. Yeah, we'll take some child <laughs> soldiers. We're, we're desperate, actually. Why, <laughs> not give, why not give your kid Soldier of Fortune magazine? It's like boys' I, life for grown-ups. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I plucked that one out of Soldier of Fortune. I mean, I cannot straight, like, Soldier of Fortune is half psychosis and then just half ads. Ads for for guns, admittedly cool ads because they're eighties retro ones. Oh, it's uh, a, ads. a perfect bible of fud law. It's like it, actually you need a forty five for stopping if you power. Read an issue of Soldier of Fortune from the late seventies or early eighties, you will hundred percent immediately understand. Okay, I know now where QAnon and Trumpism and all this stuff came from. It just didn't have legs yet because the internet wasn't a thing. Yeah, like the absolute Bircher stuff. I want to know who LU was. What did he do? Political cartoonist for newspaper cartoonist. Political yeah. cartoonist for Soldier of Fortune magazine. That's a job description <laughs> right there. <laughs> it's a Twitter bio for some it's of the sca- worst yeah. people you've ever seen. So- Soldier of Fortune. I mean, oh uh, God, like between the the ads and and everything. I they had it. One of my the ad burned into my memory is one for what was called the Spotlight Freedom Tour. Spotlight being a weird super right wing newsletter that oh, told you quote unquote the truth. And the spotlight, quote unquote, freedom tour took you from Salisbury, Rhodesia to uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, culminating in a nice trip to Rio de Janeiro in military junta era Brazil. Nazi birthrights? Yeah. <laughs> so just birthright. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I went on it. I can say it. <sighs> Next slide, please. Because we can talk about like all of this external propaganda differs a lot from Rhodesia's internal propaganda, the stuff they made for domestic consumption, which is breathtakingly racist, but not in the same way. It's racist in a sort of more patronizing way of can't we all just get along from a position of like patrician white supremacy. Mm-hmm. It's almost lib. It's like lib white supremacy. Yeah, like it talks about black Rhodesian soldiers, for instance, which soldier of fortune you would be forgiven for thinking they didn't have any, where like they became an increasing part of the Rhodesian army every year. Um, but you can also talk about the, these psyops here. I love the uh, sort of the the anti work response here. Do not listen to people who try to stop you from going to work. They will make you lose money and jobs. <laughs> if someone tries to stop you from going to work, go to the police or the army. Um, <laughs> But but also the the sort of the very patronizing stuff like you cannot chase two impala. Follow the stronger, which gives you meat, work, education, freedom, hope, and safety. Its name is good government. 
the other is Impala leads you into darkness. That one me, sort of really. It reminds me strongly of like how, um, you know, uh, the American government, American government officials would speak to uh, Native Americans in sort of this patronizing tone, which uh, oh, yeah, was totally. sort of infantilizing, and it sort of became the basis of how we think Native Americans talk. Well, no, they actually spoke normally. They still do today. But there was the sort of patronizing dialect that came from, uh, you know, Indian agents and stuff like that. And this there's, has that, but more British. This, yeah. this has another. There's another great example of this, which is once. So the original uh, Rhodesian psyop thing was: if you go to one of these camps, you will be tortured, which was sometimes true, but not enough to make it like accurate. And so people would come back from these camps and not having been tortured, it would just discredit the whole propaganda. But so their their last line of defense was to do more racism. And so I have a little passage here. They they put these these leaflets out in, in villages. Your tribal spirit has sent a message to say that your ancestral spirits are very dissatisfied with you. As a result of this, there has been no rain, your crops have died, and there could be great famine. It is only the government which can help you, but you have to realize your obligation to help the government also. This is what I'm saying, where they're just all counterinsurgency is recycling the same ideas over and over, because this is literally just like we did in Vietnam, where we had guys going through the jungle blasting recordings You're, trying the to make the Viet Cong the it was their ghost. are mad at you, yeah. Exactly! It's the counterinsurgency, it's just the same goddamn stuff reinvented over and over again with some general making it look like it's new and fresh so we can get a fucking promotion. You, you you have you have a tiny bit of liberal representational politics on the bottom left here with black power against the terrorists, where the text there says liberation movements claim they're fighting a, a freedom war against the white oppressors, yet most of the men in the front line are black. By this point, that was true because the Rhodesians were so desperate they had massively expanded the army, and because of white emigration, they had to recruit more black soldiers. And honestly, like. I can't entirely begrudge a, a black man in Rhodesia joining the army at that point because, sure. I mean, if you can't find a job elsewhere, what the fuck else are you going to do? So I can't entirely judge them. Yeah, but it's still it, it, like explicitly a white supremacist power Absolutely. structure. The, the, the like elite units of the Rhodesian army remained all white until pretty much the end of the war. Yeah. Uh, also, we got to talk about next slide, please. We're getting there. The songs. Oh, the fucking songs. Wow, can one small, unrecognized settler colonial state creates so many fucking awful folk songs. And not just <laughs> awful, not just awful in that the songs themselves are awful, but awful in that they're awful in a catchy way, so they're going to be stuck in your brain no forever. Thanks. Like, <laughs> I will have Rhodesians Never Die stuck in a part of my brain long after it is installed into a robot in, like, a container of some kind of liquid. It's it's just, it's and it's all this emphasis on sort of that rugged individualism, us against the world, you know, very traditional, very sort of conservative, and, and it's just it's just all this weird internet fascist, white supremacist wet dream, which we'll That's circle right. back to. But some of these fucking songs, I mean, I, I, I have a few listed here. Rhodesians Never Die. The Last Word on Rhodesian, which is basically a love letter to Ian Smith. Ugh. Green Leader, which is about a, a Rhodesian bombing raid that basically killed a, a huge amount of people. Uh, oh, oh uh, it's funny, these songs kind of go through a, the, the, the stages of grief. Um, <laughs> because like, you have uh, 
the sort of oh god, but like, you have the 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 the, the different stages of, of of grief, which you see Rhodesia go through, and I'll I'll, I'll talk about this, but. We're you know, about the denial, to hit the bargaining stage. Here. Exactly. Denial, you know, they sort of like, oh, we're great. We got this. Everything's fine. Anger, uh, I think anger is expressed by the song called Another Hitler, which is basically the Rhodesians saying, you know, Robert Mugabe is, is basically Hitler. And uh, you're bad for not letting us do a settler colonialism. Uh, the last words of which are, are basically, uh, you know, this battle is not the last one. We, and we are only stepping stones, and finally, America will bleed. America will bleed. Which you know, if you didn't know it was a Rhodesian folk song, you would you would think it was like a, a Nasheed or something from ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, there's just so many fucking songs by people like Clem Foliot, John Edmund, and and, and just enough, just more masturbatory material for for guys on 4chan. All right. Well, the good news is, next slide, please. The war ends. Uh, yes. Hooray. The, 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 the war ends in a negotiated settlement in Britain. Zipra's big idea was to do a sort of big conventional last minute Tet offensive sort of thing. Probably wouldn't have worked. Would have taken years anyway. Uh, instead, what you get is this sort of very tenuous settlement of a country called Zimbabwe Rhodesia, which is sort that's of that's the bargaining stage. Yeah, yeah that sounds that, bad. That's the you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses of white supremacy, mm -hmm. which is literal in this case because you have the guy who was supposedly running it, which is Bishop uh, uh, Muzarewa on the right hand there. And, and and the best way I could describe Zimbabwe Rhodesia is was a Potemkin village of majority rule, where they tried to create the illusion that it was a majority ruled country, would effectively. Smith and all his white cronies still effectively ran everything behind the scenes. Yeah, Mugabe called Muzarewa a blacksmith, which was, you know, a, a decent pun, if nothing else. They, uh, were, they were the only party that had not been outlawed by Smith at the start because uh, they were the, the only guys. They were because the, they were the only ones who didn't condone violence, and two, they were the only ones who were not communists. They were like liberals, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but so eventually, um, they have to sign the Lancaster House Agreement, which Lancaster. it makes it makes Margaret Thatcher sick. She she grieves over this, right? But it it is something that her government plays a part in overseeing, sort of against its will. The Rhodesians were really hoping once Thatcher got in the office that might save him, but even they were too much for Margaret Thatcher, which should tell you a fucking lot. That yeah. they were too much for Margaret Hilda Thatcher. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, this they're out of the bargaining phase. Now they're into acceptance, and they're basically they have no options left. They know they can't do anything left. You have so to have they, an actual election in which black people are allowed to vote. Right. Yeah, so they signed the Lancaster Agreement. You have Mugabe Lancaster. here on the right. Lancaster. <laughs> I know what it's Lancaster in in England. I'm yeah. just being an asshole. You have all the parties here, including this guy, uh, sort of in the back row, second from left, who looks a lot like uh, was it Mr. Winter, Mr. Kid from oh, Diamonds fuck, Are Forever. He really does. Shit. <laughs> if God had meant man to fly, Mr. Wint, he would have given them wings and would not have had them do a settler colonialism. That's right. Uh, so, so, so what they what they agree to is a uh, like British or Commonwealth militarily supervised election. They effectively uh, go back to being a colony. Then for one six months, they revert back to being the British colony of Southern Rhodesia, while the British oh, administer 
elections under yeah. majority rule. They, they uh, kind of know that Mugabe's going to win. The Rhodesian military under this guy on the top right, General Peter Walls, consider doing a coup and killing Mugabe. Um, I, will, I will say there's a little bit of debate here about... I mean, there's no question that these operations were planned. You had Operation Courts, uh, which is basically uh, going to be an, an attack on... Um, uh, that was going to be the effort to assassinate Robert Mugabe and, and leaders of Zanla and Zanu PF by rolling a bunch of tanks up to their election headquarters and then sending in the Rhodesian SAS. And then there was also, um, I might have these mixed up, there was Operation Hectic. One was an assassination attempt and the other was they were basically going to attack all the guerrilla forces in their assembly areas because part of the election thing was the British were going to get everyone into assembly areas where they could keep an eye on them while the election happened. Yeah. And it's questionable whether it was they were going to do it regardless, like if they were going to do it if Mugabe won, or if they s- seriously had deluded themselves into thinking that Musarewa had a chance and Mugabe might try to quote-unquote steal the election and they were going to save it. But It's, it, it's it, also it, debatable to what extent Walls was like, you know, either advocating these or preventing these. It's, it's still very unclear. In uh, the end, though, it became elementary or, 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 or sort of superfluous because Mugabe won so handedly. Like, Musarewa won like a handful of seats. Mukomo won the second most, but Mugabe and his party won an outright majority, like right away. Yeah, landslides. So, no, so, so even if they had wanted to do this, they sort of, one way or another, they realized this doesn't matter because Mugabe has won. Although Mugabe does find out that the military has tried to kill him and he does get more paranoid as a result oh, of that's, this. Oh, yeah. It's gonna happen. It's it's yeah. He's not it's, happy when he finds out about this. Let's blast through the next slide. We got a fine example of sign painting. Look at this cue. Oh yeah, this I put in basically just for Alice because I knew she'd appreciate it. This is basically that armband and patch was for the Commonwealth Monitoring Force, which was all the British, Australian, and New Zealand other Commonwealth forces that were sent there to basically make sure the election went off without any shenanigans. I love the I love the sort of reversed Browning high power on a lanyard for that cross draw. That's a rare seven late seventies British military fit. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and and obviously they had to have the Australians in on this because the Australians were the only military in the Commonwealth that had the infrastructure to ensure that every voter in Zimbabwe would be able to get an election day snag from Bunnings. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the democracy sausage. Uh, yeah. So 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 uh, Zimbabwe becomes a democracy. Uh, Mugabe is elected. Next slide, please. And what happens is that as uh, like okay. Mugabe, like Robert Mugabe, was for a long time considered sort of Mandela before Mandela, right? He had he had done the tour of like revolutionary and liberationist movements. He had been jailed by the British. He had met the ANC leaders in the sixties, uh, and become a Marxist. Uh, and you know, in terms of the way he spoke, in terms of the the way that he wrote and promised to govern, was very liberal, right? Like a large part of uh, sort of his initial program was, we're not going to kill all the white people. Uh, we are going to move forward together as a democracy, uh, and you know you do not have to leave Rhodesia. Uh, it's debatable to what extent Robert Mugabe became a tyrant versus was always a tyrant, right? He he like probably assassinated a lot of his internal factional enemies during the course of the Liberation War anyway, um, but he he became worse over time. Um, mm-hmm. In part, there are a lot of like demobilized soldiers around after the end of the war, demobilized guerrillas who do what demobilized guerrillas always do, which is banditry. Um, 
South Africa funds some of them just to stir shit up. Uh, there's there's a couple of of revolts, uh, especially of of Debele people against Shona people. Uh, this is the Entenbani revolt, which is uh, the still white officered Rhodesian army fighting for Mugabe against Zipra. Yeah, the chief of defense staff for the Zimbabwe Defense Forces from 1980 independence to 1982 for about two years is still a white former Rhodesian Security Forces officer. Initially, it's Walls, and then uh, Mugabe finds out about operations hectic in courts, and Walls has to make a very hasty uh, departure to uh, to South Africa. Um, but for another like two years, like the the Zimbabwean military under Mugabe is run by a white Rhodesian dude, and they still have a lot of white Rhodesian dudes in the ranks who are fighting for Mugabe. Yeah, it, 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 like essentially, what happens next is a sort of combination genocide purge. Uh, where Mugabe like well, it, it fan favorite. Yeah. Exactly. Wait, we're getting we're getting we're getting you warmed up for Joe on this one, Liam. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He he like eliminates all internal opposition. He uh humiliates white MPs and white uh army officers, uh sort of removes them from power, but also he perpetrates a, a genocide against Mbele people, um, called the Gakura Hundi. Uh this this leads to him forming his own sort of paramilitary power base called the 5th Brigade, which is largely trained by North Koreans. Uh, weird vibes. Weird, 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 weird vibes. Next slide, please. As we get into uh, post-war Rhodesia and the weirder vibes still. God, that statue. Is very, uh, this is very strong North Korean vibes off that statue. Yeah. <laughs> because it was sculpted by North Koreans. Oh, uh, God. That's... That statue is pretty much direct from Pyongyang. I, I both hate it and love it at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the way the, the way in which uh, uh, in which Mugabe governs Zimbabwe precipitates uh, what well, it, it necessitates land reform, right? It necessitates taking farms away from white farmers, which is initially done on a sort of mutual consent basis, and then very rapidly not that, both as a way of securing uh, power for, for Mugabe, but also as a way of bolstering the economy, which suffers very quickly from hyperinflation. You can see the $100 trillion note using the same font from the game yeah, Rock Band. the wheelbarrow is full of cash a la the Weimar Republic. Uh, so, exactly. Also Mugabe's sick jacket here. Oh, it's incredible work. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, Mugabe is genuinely very popular with a lot of Zimbabweans at this point. Still, even still. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's why when the coup d'etat happened back in 2017, the military had the phrase the coup, not that they were deposing Mugabe, but they were literally, we are getting rid of criminals around Mugabe that are misleading him. Yeah, he's course, very tired and he has to like lie down in his house. Of course, it wasn't a coup about. because the nice general went on television to tell us it was not a coup in his military uniform, so it's not a coup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it, at this point, also, I should say that Mugabe's attitude to democracy is no longer liberal. There's, there's one uh, television ad. For for the elections, which I, I come back to, which is, it's it's images of a car crash, and the tagline is, "This is one way to die. Another is to vote for the opposition. Don't commit suicide. Vote ZANU PF." <laughs> I kind of wish the Democrats would do more of that, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the question is like, do you have to hand it to Robert Mugabe? Which is probably not. Um, 
I, I tend to believe that he always had an authoritarian tendency. He was just better at camouflaging it. And he was, you know, he liberated his country by the means that were expedient to him uh, and then centralized power totally. Um, it became, lived for fucking ever. Became insanely corrupt also, which was a large problem. On the other hand, uh, if anyone tells you there is a white genocide in Zimbabwe, they are lying. Uh, or South Africa. It's it's just not a thing. There's still like you know, tens of thousands of white yeah, farmers. There, there's still like I think sixty or or seventy thousand white Zimbabweans in uh Zimbabwe. Oh, sorry, no, that, that that number was too high. It's like twenty eight thousand. But out of three hundred something thousand, that's not an insignificant number that that left behind. And you know, in many ways, the wolves who are left are still very you know closely connected into the economy, still very quite privileged and and, and sure, all that. Yeah. Like, so don't let them tell you that they're so fucking oppressed. There's there's sort of you have to balance what percentage of criticism of of Mugabe's unarguable abuses is based in actual concern for the people of Zimbabwe, and to what extent is seething and coping from white supremacists who are mad that it's not them doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, and I- and I mean, like most of them didn't suffer. Like there wasn't like a reconciliation the same way that there no. was attempted, at least in South Africa. Like most of these people did not suffer any consequences. Ian Smith lived out the rest of his days safe and happy in South Africa until he oh. died in like <laughs> two thousand six or seven. Like again, he lived for a long fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking asshole. Like a, a lot of Rhodesians went to to Britain or to South Africa or to Australia or to the U.S. And the key the key abiding factor about the Rhodesian I don't even want to call it a diaspora is that they never ever ever shut the fuck up about it. Um, like at, at this point in the eighties, British people of certain middle class circles talk about when we's expatriates from Rhodesia who constantly talk about like you know when we lived in Rhodesia we had staff and we had a you know a pool or whatever staff, sort of in quotes <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but like yes. the uh, postbellum southerners saying well you should have seen that house before the wall <laughs> exactly. exactly it's lost cause shit the, you know and that's what they say that's why even during the war they were trying to do that like oh no this isn't about race it's about communism we're, we're trying to prevent no, communism it's about race. <laughs> well also yeah, absolutely. Part, part of the other thing about about like the, the the war ending in the lancaster house agreement is that it it provides for a lost cause narrative in the same way that the end of the first world war did for germany which is you know the army that never lost a battle but was defeated at a negotiating table by the Jews. Again, it's yeah. a, it's a, another Hitler. It <laughs> you see it, you saw it in like that another Hitler song where they're basically blaming the British and the Americans and the Soviets and everyone else in the world for why won't you let us do a racism? Yeah, and it's like the Rhodesian army never lost a battle is a not true. They absolutely did, but b doesn't matter. They still lost the war militarily. Check the scoreboard. <laughs> um, yeah, and Count the ranks. you'll never be yes. Jordan. You're more Patrick Ewing. <laughs> white white majority rule in Africa is now confined to razor wire circled suburbs of Cape Town and Johannesburg. All of them constantly driving themselves and each other completely insane through fear. It's an intriguing look into the future racial politics of the United States. Um, we're almost oh. already there. Yeah, we're getting there, bud. <laughs> you see, and, they're, they're, uh, they're trying to sell. Uh, the, uh, they got a new big truck out now. Some companies trying to market a consumer, uh, a consumer-oriented quote tactical urban vehicle. You're you're going to be able to put <laughs> flamethrowers on your car like you live in Johannesburg pretty soon. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I, I can't cyclists. wait. To- you know, it, it makes sense. They made, they made, you know, they made the civilian Humvee. It only makes sense that eventually they have to make the civilian MRAP. This That's is true. Right. 
Incidentally, we do, we do have to talk about whatever the opposite of a bromance is, which is that uh, so Robert Mugabe, for no, I, I think we can say for very fair reasons, hated the British his entire life. But he also became more and more obsessive about it. Also about homosexuality, he thought all of his critics were secret homosexuals. Uh, but in particular, he really hated Tony Blair, and not necessarily <laughs> for the enough. right reasons. Oh. Um, it, it was kind of mutual. Like when he was prime minister, Blair talked up over like invading. Zimbabwe and d instituting regime change, overthrowing Mugabe by force, until the chief of the defense staff told him he would make everything worse, which I don't know why he didn't do this about Iraq, but... Tony Blair inadvertently just creating a, a, a footnote in history that'll eventually become a Hearts of Iron mod. There's no, yeah, the, the, no, uh, no oil in Zimbabwe. <laughs> they do. They do. They did eventually they, find some resources, which both the Chinese and the Russians are are in Zimbabwe now, very aggressively trying to get. <laughs> okay, that's the the pivot to the east. Yes, uh, but so that that's, that leads you to the the modern nation of Zimbabwe. Uh, next slide, please. We're getting really, really close. My last couple of slides. We got to talk about Rhodesia as a locus for latter day white supremacists. Oh, sure. Right? Uh, oh, because God, yeah. white, white supremacists love to have a legacy of being weird losers. Um, they love to be victims. It's just like white supremacists and, and, and sort of Christian fundamentalists, they love to be like, even though they're anything but, they love to seek out narratives where they are the victim. Absolutely. And in particular, this kind of like stab in the back thing of the Rhodesian army was based and they were chads and they wore the little shorts and they kept winning, but they were betrayed, right? Um, it's 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 not now, the case. But the it's, rings, yes. Yeah, it's just these 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 fuckers and their victimhood complex ruining the FN foul for me forever. <laughs> yeah, you, you see here Dylan Roof, the uh, Charleston uh, church mass murderer, wearing a pre-democracy apartheid South Africa flag and a Rhodesian flag. Uh, you've got a little make Zimbabwe Rhodesia again, which makes the and link he, with Trump nice and explicit. And, and if you want to see any shit like this, like just go to the website, the Commando Store with oh, a K. God damn it! It just it just basically just makes its living off of people buying Rhodesian masturbatory material. Absolutely, uh, the the the, the K border four chan or of eight chan, whichever is. Uh, Magical place indeed is sort of a repository for this particular kind of military history inflected white supremacism. Uh, personally, when I get nostalgic for the military history of a country that no longer exists, it's the Soviet Union, because as we know, the Soviet Union, A, never did anything wrong, but B, uh, <laughs> B, existed for 80 years and created stuff other than overhyped bicycle shorts and racist tantrums. And it was they also actually guy in space. And it was also actually recognized by the rest of the world, including their principal adversary. <laughs> yeah, so uh, all, all I can say about, about Rhodesia is seize, cope, next slide please, my final slide, so much of this breathtakingly horny. Uh, this, is, this is a horrifying little vignette I, I, I made myself, which I think neatly summarizes the whole process. This is a white Rhodesian woman wearing an anti-emigration shirt, because this was like a popular thing in Rhodesia, was to try and like prevent white flight by saying, oh, well, we're, we're staying to create our ethnostate. Um, this was when it was really starting to hit the Rhodesian economy. Um, then we have a cropped and badly colorized version that got picked up on K, the firearms board. Um, and then last of all, we have a lovingly, horrifyingly enhanced version to make her more trad-looking. 
Yeah, they uh, had to make her face thinner, make the lips bigger. She looks like uh, Lana Del Rey. I found this on Tumblr. Um, oh, God. A, a Tumblr cursor, a cursor of, place that won't just die. A, t- a Tumblr of fascist aesthetics. Wow. Um, fascists <sighs> are desperately, desperately, weirdly horny. There are so, so many drawings of girls with big tits and Rhodesian military uniforms. Alice, there's a whole and it, big bunch of listeners right now writing down in little, little, their little books, Reasons to Cancel Alice, goes on fascist <laughs> aesthetic Tumblr boards. <laughs> I found and, it, I was looking for this, and I found and, it. And, uh, and I can say, it's not just anime waifus, I can safely say as a furry, there are plenty of horny furry Rhodesian oh things God. too. All I can say to this is, it's not hard to be horny without being a fascist, I do it, Every day, going Proud going back in time and showing a badly burned Ian Smith in hospital a drawing of like a serval in in brushstroke uniform, so he dies of his wounds. <laughs> God, if uh, if only, and I, uh, God, I didn't even notice at first. For some reason, my eye didn't catch it that not only does she have that shirt and shit, she has a fucking like what I can only assume is a Browning high power and a holster there. Again, making a very cool pistol, unpist, uh, uncool. But this they ruined, is they ruined all those those yeah. those things. Like so, it, this is this is that this has been a brief positive history of Rhodesia. Uh, what have we learned? Don't uh, do a settler colonialism, or or if uh, you're gonna do it, don't let your your colony have an army. Sorry, go ahead, Liam. I cut white you. Supremacist. Yeah, that, yeah. It, that's yeah. That too. Uh, um, Maoism beats Soviet doctrine and <laughs> how to run a counterinsurgency. At least, how- at least in a, a country that doesn't actually have a, 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 a industrial urban peasantry to mobilize in the yeah. first place. Yeah. What What's one BTR to a bunch of guys with AKs? Nakomo um, did have the better, the, the awesome sort of swagger stick that he walked around with. That's true. You know? yeah. yeah. Anyway. Bye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our next episode is on the Boston Molasses disaster. Oh, uh, we can... You know what? No, we'll, we'll do that later. Yeah, next episode, Pity. hopefully, featuring the other three quarters of my voice. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, bud. Oh, I hope we'll be back better. from sabbatical by then. <laughs> yeah. KD, thank you so much for coming on and, and for helping me with the slides. For the people oh, who want more KD, where can they find more KD? Yeah, first of all, thank you for, for having me on to to attempt this again uh, during oh, a sure. period where no major historical events were happening at that moment in time. <laughs> and uh, second of all, uh, if you want to hear me rant more about national security, you can find me at at war underscore takes on Twitter. I also have a blog where I write essays. That's just wartakes.com. And if you want to just see me ship post or post furry art or do other bullshit, uh, you can find me at at Komodo dad on the twitter.com. And I think that's about it. Hell yeah. That's a podcast. We did it. We finally got that. We did a podcast. All right.